You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you just want to ask your mom. Hi, welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, let me just ask you, are you the default parent? Well, here's a clue. If you have to think about it, you're not. (laughs) So here's a scenario. You're out for a rare evening with a handful of other mom friends. And at some point, inevitably, somebody's phone starts up with a text or a call. Probably more than one phone. When are you coming home? Which size diaper do I use? Do the kids need a bath? Where are their PJs? Yep. In our culture, mom is typically that person, the default parent, even in families where both parents work outside the home. If school calls, mom goes. If a child's sick, mom stays at home. 2020 and the whole virtual school situation really highlighted this issue. In lockdown, when both parents were working from home, most of what it took to keep the home running continued to fall on mom. Yep, that's for sure. So here's a list of common household tasks. In your house, raise your hand if you're the one who does it. If you're driving, keep both hands on the wheel and nod. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Lunches are packed with stuff the kids like minus what they don't like. The sink and the dishes are cleaned. The pantry is stocked. Groceries are bought. Items are replaced. Toilet paper, light bulbs, batteries, detergent, dog food. Appointments are made. Registrations are made for school, sports, doctors, field trips, veterinarian. Meals planned, made. Baths taken. The person who knows where everything is in the house. Clothes, everybody has the right sizes and the seasons that are uh, available. Holidays, who does all the decorations, cards, gifts, hosting. Birthdays, who does the invites to the parties, hosts the parties, buys the gifts, writes the thank yous. Who pays the bills? Who takes out the trash, cleans up after the pets? Who gets the babysitters, house sitters, dog sitters? Wow, that makes me tired just (laughs) thinking about it. Right, that's not even half of it. So who does all that in your house? Oh, Wow. So we're pretty familiar with the wage gap between genders, but there's also a stress gap. In one survey of over 7,000 moms, they rated their stress levels at eight and a half out of 10. That's so unhealthy, all that cortisol. It's too, too much. You're mutating your DNA. That's right. (laughs) So our culture in the United States, we still see household chores and child rearing as, quote, women's work. Um. Renee, you and I both grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I would say from my grandparents' generation to my own parents, that's, we had the traditional household. Mom did everything inside and dad did everything outside. Same. Not not a whole lot of interaction with the children, my father, except for the discipline parts. Yeah, Yeah, my mom, and not only that, I was thinking about my mom and my grandmother, her mother. They were both helping their husbands start a business. And doing all of that other stuff. At the same time. It's too much. And my grandmother and my mom both ended up getting household help, hiring it out. Okay. Because it was just too much. We had that in Japan for just a little while because it was cultural. We had to, but then we didn't. Then it was us. And there's four of us girls and a boy as the youngest. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, a lot of the inside stuff fell on the girls, on the sisters. Yuck. (laughs) I don't like that. So I think that our model of division of labor does begin in childhood. Girls begin shouldering 50% more of the housework than boys. So how are we raising our boys? So moms, take a page out of my mother-in-law's book. Hmm. 
She was a queen at this. So she went back to work. David was about 12 years old, maybe 13. And his older brother was gone to college. And she trained him to clean the house. She and her husband were both working outside the home now. Mm -hmm. And they needed help. And so they trained him. How do we want these things done? And when he came to me and we were married, he could do everything from iron a shirt better than I could, Mm -hmm. quite frankly, to clean a bathroom. He knew when dishes needed to be washed, he could see it and not just have to be told to do it. Mm -hmm. It was fabulous. I think that's probably the exception more than the norm. I'm guessing from what I'm hearing. Um, My husband came from a real traditional Southern family and his grandparents and parents, I think, were in these traditional roles, um, kind of where all the women at a big gathering were in the kitchen preparing everything, you know, and all the guys sit in the living room and watch football, and the women are the first to serve, and they're the, they're the last to sit down. I don't like that. The first to clean, it's kind of a cultural, yeah, phenomenon. No, it's true at our Thanksgiving gatherings as well in the South. Yes. Yeah, in the so South. So it doesn't work well when that background meets a totally different background and different expectations. So I think um, probably newlyweds are familiar with, (laughs) you know, you bring Mm -hmm. your past Mm -hmm. and your family of origin into your marriage. So there's a lot of negotiation that has to take place as far as division of labor. And I have to say, this was probably one of our most frequent um, argument points. And it's, it's, that's common, Bonnie. Yeah. Most young women I talk to, um, this is a real problem. They feel overwhelmed. They feel like everything falls on them. They mm-hmm. feel like they're nagging their husbands when they ask for help. Yeah. Or point out things that need to be done. Yeah, they shouldn't have to ask for help or that, you know. <laughs> that's right. Can you not see it? This Can is the, this it? is the thing that women tell me again and again. Can you not see it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think maybe sometimes they don't. I think they just don't. They're not conditioned to. Yeah. Um, so back in February, Procter & Gamble aired this Super Bowl ad that I saw, and I thought, yes, this was so cool. It pointed out that in 65% of households, all the chores fall on one person. The 65% of all of our households. That is huge. Yeah. They launched this Close the Chore Gap campaign with Dawn and Swiffer. I don't really know how well that campaign is going, but... I, yeah, that sounds very gimmicky to me, closing out. Like we'll a bunch see. of men sitting around watching the football game are going to do that. <laughs> well, their wives are like oh, elbow, yeah, elbow, elbowing elbow. them. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's a common experience, though, to get married and bring that in. Um, and and usually when you first get married, both spouses are working. Um, and it's pretty. It, we were, too, pretty equitable at the beginning. Like, okay, I'll do this, you do this, everything was fine. But then children came along, and suddenly everything changed. Because um, I think guys sometimes have this idea or they're even flat out told, oh, it's kind of a mom thing. Like you're not really going to have to do anything for this first six months because you're not nursing or anything. Your wife's probably going to do it all. I think they get that message. Uh, Who's telling him that? Uh, Well, not me. (laughs) Don't say that, mom. They can't nurse, right? They They can't. can't. They can bring them to you. They can change the diapers. Mm -hmm. They can do all the things in between. There's lots of things they can do. Mm -hmm. And it is hard to pre-negotiate this. It's such a radical life change that it's until you're living it, it's kind of hard to kind of parse out what you need in your own home. Yeah. But take the time to talk about sharing the workload when this comes. Um, I want to talk about love and economics for a second in this vein of thought. Um, It's a book by Jennifer Roback Morse, and she's an economist, like a smarty pants, like PhD. And she adopted a child um, from Romania who had been institutionalized and um, 
and saw like the massive amounts of care he needed Mm -hmm. that she could not um, purchase for him. And she realized, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to step back and, and do this. And it just started her thinking about, okay, what happens when um, you begin a family, you bring Mm -hmm. children into the picture. And this is what she said. I think it's helpful to just kind of see, see what's happening here with this default parenting. So the union between a husband and a wife produces offspring who have lives of their own. And these new lives are bound to the couple by blood, not by choice, and certainly not by contract. Those children permanently alter the character of the relationship between their parents. However much they, the husband and wife, might have cherished their independence, the arrival of a baby signals the start of a new era of interdependence in their lives. No matter how much they may have enjoyed their youth, no matter how old they might be when children finally arrive, the children let them know that now their own childhoods are definitely at an end. The responsibility for a helpless child pulls us out of our natural self-centeredness more thoroughly than almost any other situation. Uh-huh. Amen. That was, that was comforting to me. I thought I was the only self-centered one. <laughs> oh, no. The arrival of a new baby gives us, perhaps for the first time in our lives, the opportunity to find out just how much love we are capable of. We find out how patient we can be, how resourceful, how much sleep deprivation we can stand, how much pleasure we can take in the ordinary details of daily life. In this calling out of the parents from their natural self-centeredness, their real transformation begins in earnest. So this new era of interdependence is kind of where this default parenting thing comes to a head. This you ha- you you bring this helpless person into your lives and they need so much of you. And so when you see that something's not working, go back and ask the previous question, which is what is it for? Okay. So if this is not working in your marriage, if you're feeling overwhelmed, what is marriage for? So what is what are families for? What are families for? Families are for filling the earth to um, ha- exercise dominion. Genesis one tells us we're supposed to take care of the earth. We're supposed to cultivate, create culture, love beauty, and mm-hmm. take care of one another. And, and what marriage, are- what's marriage for? Marriage is for representing Jesus and the church to the world. It's for producing children. Now, sometimes our world's broken and we can't produce children. And we, like Jennifer Morse in her book, she got a child by a different route. Mm -hmm. But all of this, whether by adoption or by um, birth, it's radical self-denial. It's radical self-giving. And it's radical self-denial of both the husband and the wife. Right. There's no way it can work. For things to work well. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I think probably in my family, I didn't do this very well. I don't think I renegotiated very well. Or if I did, I think that resentment would build up and we'd do better for a while. And then we just kind of fall back into our modes of being. Yeah, I think it's a it's a common problem. And I think when you have to revisit something over and over, it's not maybe that you didn't do it well. It's just that it's such a tricky thing. To figure it's out, very large. It's like very large, and the um, mm-hmm. the situation's always changing. So Savannah's yeah, a baby. Your kids are getting older, and yeah. then now she's four, and you have another baby. That's right. And then she's in school, and you got one at home. Mm-hmm. It's just life is constantly changing, changing, and you've got to keep revisiting this. Yeah. So that you're not a default parent and hating your life. Exactly. So that's what this podcast is about today. Um, I think dads get the message a lot of times. They try it. And we say, well, that's not the way I would have done it. (laughs) So they say, you know, well, then you just do it. 
I can't do anything right. Yeah. And and I get they can't breastfeed the baby, but they can do almost everything else. Mm -hmm. And we don't do them any favors, moms, by telling them they're not doing it right. Yeah. You're just undermining that effort. They probably feel insecure. They've never done this before. I was the mom and I felt insecure. They've never done it before either. That's right. right. You're supposed to be like partners supporting one another in this kind of thing. Um, One of the staggering statistics that I read around this um, subject was that 30% of divorces are based on this kind of argument. This kind of, um, you can't communicate correctly. You can't get it all ironed out. One person feels dumped on and resentful. The other person feels nagged and belittled. Uh, So it's worth investigating. It's worth doing better. Oh, so true. 30%? Yeah, that's a big old chunk. That's that's a third. Wow. So yeah, some of the times the biggest problems in our marriages can be the small uh, details. Mm-hmm. And so when you're scorekeeping or you're feeling burned out and when you're nagging, let's pull out some proverbs against that. It's better to sleep <laughs> on the roof of a house than in, with a nagging wife. Yeah. Don't want to be like a constantly <laughs> dripping leaky faucet. Yeah. And resentment and disappointment builds up. And you begin to lose your identity when you're carrying. Oh, that's such an important majority of the element. Yep, the tasks at home. So the Huffington Post, um, they asked divorced women what they wish they'd done differently in their marriages, and many of them said, "I wish I would have asked for help when I needed it." Communicating your feelings and needs is so key in a marriage relationship. So if you're frustrated with this issue, but you feel like you don't want to, or you can't communicate this with your spouse because it's going to cause conflict, or you just don't want to deal with it. What you probably need to realize is you're already communicating in other ways. Yes, you are. So here are just a few. Mm-hmm. So this is from the book Fair Play, which we're going to pull from a lot in this episode. Yeah, this is actually where we got this idea of the default parent. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, the author Eve Rodsky um, has so many great um, tips and just a plan for families to work through this again and again and again, because again, you're going to revisit this. So she says, when a spouse challenged, what do you do all day? This uh, wife and mother created a time-lapse video of hours and hours of invisible work she performs at home as proof. What do you do all day? (laughs) Yeah, kiss of death. Do not ask that question. Oh my goodness. Ankle sweep. (laughs) Kidney slap. Something would be happening. (laughs) I am am a little shocked and afraid that you know those terms. Um, So when the diaper genie reaches capacity, Lydia drags it into the hallway and walks away. If I neglect to empty it, maybe he'll get the hint. Oh, my goodness. And then Julia, in the book, admitted to sometimes playing possum when her young son would come into the bedroom at night. That way, her husband had to be the one to get up. Yep, never done that. And let's be honest. (laughs) You know we've done it. (laughs) Lori turns off her phone when her husband's at Target, so he can't reach her to ask, what do we need? And what aisle is that in? Oh, David, bless your heart. (laughs) So, so wanting to buy the exact right thing. Send you a thousand pictures. Is it this one? Is it this one? Is this the right brand? (laughs) Oh, fire roasted tomatoes with onions, without onions. (laughs) Oh my. I'm having a moment here. All right. Stella dumps wet clothes on her husband's pillow when he forgets to put them in the dryer. Ah! Because that'll work. And Trudy Trudy withholds sex until all the dishes are out of the sink. Wow. Yeah. That's all passive aggressive stuff ladies yeah and but you are communicating so don't say you don't want to communicate with your husband yeah you are communicating so let's do it in the healthy way so this invisible work you've been doing it um maybe you've had trouble naming what you're doing that's why you're so tired of all the time 
think of what you do in a day. Right. You probably can't even name all the things that you've done in a day. And you get to the end of the day and look around and say, what? Why? Why am I so exhausted? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The so, time lapse video, that's a great idea. It is. But you know how much time that probably took her? <laughs> I Wouldn't it have been easier to ask in the first place or to like negotiate this in true. the first place? True, true, true. Um, so the 80s sociologist came up with terms for all this inequity. The first one is mental load. And you know what I'm talking about because every mom has mental to-do lists we keep for all the family tasks. We juggle constant details. And the more people you have in the family, the more lists you're carrying in your head. This creates stress, fatigue, and forgetfulness. And there's also second shift work. That's the things you do before you go to work and even longer after you get home from work. Like the laundry at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. When your husband's like, all right, see, I'm going to bed. And you kind of look around at all the other undone stuff and you think, well, I guess I'm going to be doing that. Not cool. Not cool. I didn't see 11 o'clock. That didn't happen. (laughs) No, you go to sleep at (laughs) nine. Refer to the the sleep episode. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's the emotional labor, which is typically referred to as women's, the women's realm of maintaining relationships, stuff like thank you notes, teacher gifts, uh, soothing your toddler's meltdown, kissing their boo-boos, caring. We sweep that into the women's category because yeah. we're so good at that. That's a lot of emotional labor. Yeah. And then invisible work like the magical tube of toothpaste that shows up in your bathroom closet. Yep. When your previous tube has run out. You're welcome. The toilet paper holder is always filled. You're welcome. <laughs> the paper towel holder is always filled. You're welcome. <laughs> the peanut butter is always on the shelf. <laughs> It goes on and on and on. Yes. And the magic elves, no one ever sees them. <laughs> They're so wonderful. Aren't they? I wish I yes. had more of them. I wish I had a wife. So, okay. Husbands and dads might be great guys and wonderful fathers, but often they're relegated to not much more than being a helper, which is really belittling if you think about it. Can you, it can you help me out here? Can you do this? They're a collaborative partner and participant. They're your equal. Yeah. Yeah, and um, when they keep your kids, um, they're your babysitters, right, Bonnie? No, they are being fathers. <laughs> this is one of her pet peeves. It's a trigger for her, so I had to say it. <laughs> right. Like, why do we not ask that when when um, women are out in a group? Like, who's keeping the kids? Yeah, and, and, and do you ever see, like, a group of dudes, like, at a sports bar, and anybody go up to them and say, well, who's got your kids, guys? No, it's just no. a given. It's just a given. They're with mom. It's a given. That's the same reason we don't hear the term working dads. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not a thing. It's not a thing. So, okay, when can we have these these conversations, Bonnie? With about, our husbands? Yeah, about being the default parent and needing help and all the things. Right. Well, I suggest that you just text them a list of the 647 things that you've done all that day. Like Martin Luther, can we tap them on the front of our, <laughs> our doors when they get home from work? They're just nailed there. Yeah, that would totally go over well. Here's all my things and your side is zero. We need to talk. I'm sure that will work well. Yeah, yes. No, no, no. You have the conversation in a time of non-conflict. So you pick a time when everybody's fed and rested and feeling good. And just talk about how overwhelmed you feel. Enlist them to help you. Yeah, so um, instead of saying like you sentences, it's helpful to say I sentences. So Mm -hmm. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Here's what's happening in my world. Can you help me? Instead of saying you never are doing these things. Right. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm going to do all these things. I feel like I can't do anything well. Um, I'm losing the joy of, you know, Running our family. Right. And I, I want to have that back again. I don't feel like 
I don't know who I am anymore and I don't feel like you like who I am anymore and let's I want you to let's fix that yes yeah all those are all those are great ways to start Mm -hmm. the conversation and likely you know if you're in a healthy marriage your husband's gonna hear that and be concerned if he doesn't run to the nearest counselor (laughs) then that's another that's another issue yeah Mm -hmm. and then um Taking ownership of a task when you're talking about the help you need, we're talking about taking ownership from beginning to end. Yep. So that's knowing what needs to be done, remembering to do it. So if you have to remind someone to do a job, that's you've actually put that monkey back on your back. Exactly. And the reminded person gets off easy. Yeah, because you just remembered for them. <laughs> Which is a mental, another <laughs> mental list and another emotional load. Yeah. So, um, you know, with our kids, we would just say, hey, are you free to go? Do such and such? Are you? F- and they'd be like, uh, I don't know. Why don't you think about that? Because I knew. I knew. Yeah. There's stuff does. undone. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you can't say that to your husband, but that's the idea. Because there's kind of a difference in training your, I hope there's a difference in training your children and training your spouse. Yeah. Because like <laughs> your spouse is going to tell you, you're not my mom. Like I didn't marry my mom. Get off my back about that. Right. Right. And then um, establish a standard of completion. So what's this that like? So important. So if you want uh, the task to clean the kitchen, well, it's not just doing the dishes that you messed up. It's also wiping the countertop and cleaning the stove and making sure all the yucky food is out of the refrigerator. All the things that constitute a clean kitchen. So you have to agree on what doing the job well looks like. So this can eliminate the, well, you didn't do it right or you were wrong. Right. You just You, you just agree on what the standard is. That just seems... So straightforward, but I'm betting that it. I didn't really do that, even with my own children. <laughs> well, you guys as much probably as I should. see things very similarly, but yeah. but when I when my standard is very high, um, you know, I want things a certain way because I'm there all day long, mm-hmm. and his standard is well, at least I've done, at least I've done the dishes, right? You know, at least I helped out with that or whatever. <laughs> yes, but you didn't. But I'm still having to think about I've got to clean the counter because I don't want ants, and I, you know. He's not thinking about why do I want the counter clean. So just mm-hmm. lay all that on the table. Here's why we have a value of cleanliness that we both want to reach. Let's make our standard the same. Yeah. And, and even if it's not the same, I think it's just a matter of respect for the other person. Right. Like it, it's not the job. It's like the person behind the job. Mm-hmm. It's, it's I love you. So I'm going to do it for you, not because I care about having the counter cleaned. Exactly. I, I care about you. Right. Because the whole thing you just read earlier was about self-denial, right? That's right. Interdependence, radical self-denial, mm-hmm. working together as a team. Right. These are the hard parts and the great parts of marriage. It really is. So It is. It's not, it's not just something you can sweep under the rug. That's a great bumper sticker. Marriage is hard and great. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ah. So, okay. So what's some common responses when a job doesn't get done? Well, it's just not something I think about. Eh, ah! sometimes I just oh, I didn't see that um you know you didn't remind me or why didn't you just ask me oh <laughs> well, if I have to that. ask you then it's still on my plate yeah I have to remind you it's still on my list so don't say those things oh goodness all right and then also just another angle of this problem because the default parenting and all this stress it's a product of not enough time yes it's time crunching mm-hmm. all the time. And Eve Rodsky in her book talks about toxic time messages that we say or believe. These are these are so important. Number one, time is money. 
So it's the belief that my paid hours are worth more than your unpaid hours. Or, or even lesser paid. Or lesser paid hours, right. So when I'm off the clock, it's not worth my time to do that. Well, time is time. Mm-hmm. Paid or not. We all have a finite amount of it. We all have 24 hours in a day. So this is a really hard one to get past. I think a lot of us internalize this. Um, what's paid is worth more, which is why stay-at-home moms often feel this, like yeah. undervalued. Devalued, yeah. But it's true. time is time. Yeah, I kind of... Um, did this in my head when our children were little, I, I automatically thought of time is time. So I'm providing um, this this work during these hours, just like you're providing that work during these hours. And then as soon as he got home, the time was our time. Mm-hmm. And we, we would divvy it out. But um, if that's not the case, verbalize that. Like change the way you talk about it and change the way you view it because words have power. Mm-hmm. So time is time. And number two is you don't work, and so you have more time. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. Bring out the kidney slap, the ankle sweep again. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Hours worked in service of your home are as time-worthy as hours spent working outside the home. And that's true for men and women. Exactly. So, Renee, you were talking before about having an insurance policy. Yes. So um, David and I, this really helped kind of bring all this into focus too. When we have, we had two small children and we had a little bit of life insurance, but we realized, wow, if we were going to replace what I do for our family, um, what would it cost us? Because you need to insure me (laughs) for that much money. And we started adding up, okay, well, you'd need childcare for both children. And we didn't want to put them in daycare. So we'd have to hire a nanny Mm -hmm. and basically a full-time nanny. And that's a big salary. And then we'd also have to um, hire someone to do all of the household things I was doing. So you need a house cleaner. You'd need someone to run the errands, buy your groceries, or someone to keep the children while you went and bought the groceries right. because they were little. And um, But once the, once we got to add all that up, and then you'd want probably the house paid off so you could just free up a little more income. It was a good little insurance policy. I was feeling pretty good. <laughs> I was like, hey, that made me feel good. And something else David did is he always had little business cards made for me. They were my mom cards. And I had my phone number and um, just our family's names on there. So if like I met a mom on a playground and we wanted to stay in touch, I could just hand her, you know, a card. And it just validated what I was doing. That's that, your career. That's, that's a real choice. career. It's a real job. I value that. That was valued just as much as the paid work outside. Huh? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Love that. David, you're a great husband. <laughs> <laughs> so number three, if you don't have enough time or you think you feel you don't, then outsource or get more help, which is fine and and great if you can do that, if you can figure out ways to do that. Um, but hiring someone to help you still takes some work. Yeah, you got to find them. So if you Interview don't want to do the lawn work and you want to have somebody and you, you're able to have somebody do that, then you find somebody to do the lawn work. Mm-hmm. Don't make me do that. This is really common for two income families. So when both husband and wife are working outside the home, it's really worth it to free up some time with your children to outsource some of those things. Right. Your time is limited with your kids anyway. Yeah, because your time is limited. And so, um, and my grandmother, as I mentioned earlier, and my mom both did that. They they both hired household help because they were helping run businesses mm-hmm. with their husbands and taking care of children and all the things. And so they needed some help. All right. And then number um, four, you spend your time doing unnecessary things. All right. If we decide together a task isn't important, we can let it go. But if we agree it holds value, it's not a waste of time for anyone. 
So who decides what's unnecessary? Yeah. I think you have to get together. Yeah. And here's our, what are our values? What do we care about? Do we care that we're going to send Christmas cards every year? Is that important to us that we get, keep in contact with people that way? Or is it too much of a time suck and a hassle? And uh, you know how many hours that is? And yeah. And expense. <laughs> is that, I think that's falling off a lot of people's plates in the past couple of years, but, um, yeah, if like, if you decide, no, no I think we're just doing that because everybody else is. Then if, go. if that's not a huge value in your family, yeah, let that go. Elsa that task. <laughs> Get it off your plate. Get, let it go. Let it go. All right, here is another toxic time message. Um, sure, I'll help you when I can. Right. Um, talk about that one, Bonnie. Because fairness is sharing the daily grind task, those tasks that have to get done every single day. So a lot of times... Um, guys will come in and say, well, yeah, that's why they take the yard work and the lawn and the bushes that only need done once a month because they can schedule it in around their golf game and whatever else they've got going on. Um, it's not something that's daily grind. And that's that's just not fair. Yeah. So again, you're, you're in a relationship of interdependence, especially with little people in your lives. Mm-hmm. And you've brought them into this world. They didn't ask to come into your <laughs> lives. You now have responsibilities that require interdependence there's a lot of lot going into maintaining them okay number six i make her life money makes our family life possible so i got to go out and make the money and bring it home that's what i do that's my contribution well so does homework work at home makes the world and family life possible widowed and divorced men don't fare as well because without their partners their health comfort and social bonds suffer we each spend time making our life together work for us yeah, if if you're hearing that toxic time message, that might be worth two or three visits to a counselor because mm-hmm. you, you've got a fundamental divide on uh, the way you, you value. Yeah, how you value each other. each other and what your marriage is really about. Mm-hmm. You know, what is marriage for? It's it's not for you to go do one thing and her do another thing. It's all pulling in the same direction. Right. You win together and you lose together. Yeah, yeah. All right, and number seven, um, it's on me. It's all on me. So this is this is more what women think. I I think a toxic time message that women believe, mm-hmm. um, and we think that it's all on us. Why? It shouldn't uh, why? be. Why? I know. Who said that? I mean, people are just going <laughs> to let you keep doing what you're doing That's when right. you do it. Nothing's going to change unless you change it. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Number eight, we say a lot of times, I can do it better. I can just do it better. 39% of women delegate to their kids while only 26% ask their spouse to do the same tasks. So stop identifying with that multitasker role. Maybe you can do it a little bit better, but so what? (laughs) Like, don't be guilty of undervaluing him and his capabilities too. Yeah. So I've, I've said this before. I'll just say it again here. I felt like it was my responsibility if I was feeling overwhelmed to delegate because we were we had divided the realms i was home during the day he was at work i was i was homeschooling the kids which became my main task yeah it was a lot of times which meant it's my i kind of know how the house runs and so i can delegate mm-hmm. if i don't delegate that's my fault if i don't sit down and divide amongst the kids and the husband and myself chores then no one else is going to come in and fix that for me mm-hmm. he wouldn't even know it's a problem he's gone yeah. And especially when he was traveling, mm-hmm. he might be gone two, three, four nights a week. Right. So, bring so it, I got to bring it up. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nicely. Yeah. Nicely. nicely. 
Um, yeah, I probably did it in tears sometimes too. Well, yeah. that's nice. It's yeah, just, just to, to the, reach to the <laughs> yeah the point where I'm like, oh, I need help. All right, and number nine, I can save time by doing it myself. Okay, true. That's actually true, mm-hmm. but that's not helpful. You can save time right now, maybe. Yeah, but not in the long run. Well, how many how many hours and days and weeks are you trading for that? That's over true. your lifetime. So to quote something we've said before <sighs> in a podcast, short-term pain is long-term gain. Right. Go slower in the short term. So renegotiate that stuff. And we're going to tell you how in just a minute and delegate it off your plate. And you have long-term gain, more hours of your life back. Number 10, I should spend my time, what, X, Y, Z. So there's tons of hashtag mom guilt out there in social media, hashtag mom fail. But I hardly ever see hashtag dad fail or hashtag dad guilt. Right. Because they don't shit all over themselves. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) There's a bumper sticker. Bumper sticker number two. We do. Stop it. Yes. So, yes. Stop stop devaluing your own. Mm -hmm. Your own worth and your own needs. Time is time. Yeah. All right. So, philosophical interlude. (laughs) Let me talk a little bit about a perspective on what type of work running a household and child rearing is. There is a fabulous article. I want all of you to go out and read it. It's so, so well done. It's by Elizabeth C. Corey, and it's entitled No Happy Harmony. It was published in October of 2013 in First Things. You can find it online. And she noted that um, recent feminist writing has begun to say Not that women should forget about being wives and mothers and start to act more like men, but that they should somehow play both roles at once. They should strive for success in the same way as men and also be wives and mothers. Kind of just have it all. Mm -hmm. Try to have it all. Well, as a college professor at Baylor University, she said that she inevitably has conversations with female students where they worry about the difficulty of pursuing both family and career. These very talented young women wonder if the longing to have and care for children can be combined with a sincere desire to achieve something of value outside the home. To help them understand that tension more clearly, Corey makes a distinction between professional work, which is a self-culture, you're cultivating the self, and family work, which is more of self-giving. The personal qualities required by professional work are directly opposed to the qualities that child-rearing demands. They're fundamentally different existential orientations, and the conflict between them is permanent, she says. To focus on professional excellence requires what she calls a self-culture. The excellence is within us and must be developed. My musical potential brought to fulfillment, my academic aptitude developed and realized through education. Thus, you reach concrete worldly goals. You ace the MCAT, you write a really good novel, you play a Bach fugue with confidence and proficiency. Now, this is not an indictment against having a career. She's spending her life training women to Mm -hmm. have careers. It's simply recognizing what is required of you to excel in a career. And by contrast, she says, caring for others requires us to put aside, at least temporarily, the quest for achievement, not just to make time, but to create space for a different mode of being. It's a condition of attention and activity that isn't striving, but focusing on the needs of another person. We simply cannot approach marriage and family in the spirit of achievement at all. Say it again yeah. for all the Americans. Cannot approach marriage and family in the spirit of achievement. Interesting. I know. I love that. If we try to do so, we will find ourselves frustrated and conflicted. For well-behaved children or smart children are not markers of our success. Wow. Wow. 
Children are ends in themselves to be loved and cared for as individuals. They need from us something other than our talents. They need us, full stop. And this is not a preference for family life over work. It's simply recognizing what's required of us in family life and work, in child rearing. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the tension in default parenting is that um, women are trying to live in these two modes of being, this self-cultivating culture that's really demanding in a work environment and this Mm self-giving culture in a home environment, a marriage environment. And it's just hard. Yeah. It's two fundamentally different ways of being. And incidentally, Corey notes that her male students seem much less conflicted (laughs) about career and family life, and they don't seem to recognize the tension nearly as often. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Part of that, I would think, is biology. I think so, too. Because women are the ones so far who are carrying babies and nursing them. And men can't do that. We have to take time out and take care of that. Yeah, it's a a huge time investment. It's a huge physical, it's a toll on your body. It's a huge blessing. I'm not saying a negative toll, but it's a toll on your body. Right. And it it does change you psychologically. It does change you (laughs) hormonally in all the ways. So I think there is a little bit of, of that to balance. And I'm all for um women developing the talents within them i just think sometimes things are seasonal i don't know and if they're not if you are trying to do them all at once it it just will be hard it just will i think um suffering a lot of times is exacerbated when we're surprised by it true so I, i just wanted to add this in to give us a perspective that if it feels hard to live in both those worlds it's because it is Mm -hmm. it's because those worlds are requiring two totally different things from you and perhaps, like you said, we we might set one aside for a season and pick it back up. Or maybe you do just live in the tension and you, and you really renegotiate all the responsibilities in your life. I mean, a lot of working moms, working moms, (laughs) there's that term again. There's that term. I'm buying into it. I know. Um, You know, you're guilt, you, when you're at work, you're thinking of your kids at home. And when you're at home, you're guilty because you're thinking Thinking about work. work. Yeah. There's always this constant, um, you're just being torn. So, I don't know whether that's fair or not. I know a lot of people try to say it's a societal problem. And if we just had more paid leave and we had all these, you know, other cultural and structural things that would support women in this, that would be fixed. But I'm not convinced that it would be. Yeah, Corey's not either. She goes on to say in her article that um, not that those things might not be helpful. Sure. But you're still talking about fundamentally different orientations of the self. A psyche you're shift. living in an interdependent relationship, to mm-hmm. use Jennifer Roback Morse's term. You're living in an interdependent relationship, and but you also have this world of career that's requiring extreme self-cultivation, mm-hmm. which is more inward-focused, as it has to be. How are you going to master a Bach fugue, right? Or, or run that huge economics, you be know, a, be a brain surgeon, all formula, the formula, <laughs> right. yeah, be a doctor and and do both. You, we want. I want my female doctors to be all in. Yeah. So just recognizing the tension in those worlds, I think, is helpful. Right, and then the, you can make clearer decisions. Exactly, and you know, like if you have a supportive partner in today's society. You maybe you can make those things happen in a better way because they're stepping up a little bit more. Right. And the men in these classrooms that she's facing um, might 
better step up with their partners and, and support them in those things. It's it's always um, helpful, I feel like, to have the big picture and then you can um, talk it out and and then move forward. Yeah. And it, it, the answer might not be an immediate answer. Maybe it's a year or two year down the road answer mm-hmm. um, for for what works for you and your and your family. But um, I just really appreciated her insights into that. Yeah, I think it's totally good. Totally, totally good. So let's talk about practical things as we wrap this up. Okay. So this this whole Evronsky Fair Play um, concept. Um, it's a book, yes, but it also comes with a hundred cards that you can divvy up between you and your spouse. Um, and each one of them has all the conception, the planning and the execution all spelled out. Um, so uh, for like each task for each task. Right. So, uh, I guess when they started out, he, her husband said, all right, I'll take the sports for all the kids. I'll be responsible for that. And she. Like, I'll take him to soccer on Saturday. She's like, hold on, hold on. There's a little bit more to it than just driving him to soccer. You got to register them for the thing. You have to know when that happens. You have to get their gear and equipment. You have to get their uniform. You have to sign up for the snacks. Make sure those are provided on the week that you're supposed to bring them. Mm. And go to the practices. Know when they are. Um, schedule everything around them. Make sure everyone in the family knows that you can't conflict with orthodontist appointments and other things. And then get them to practices and the games. And he said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she's like, yeah. So he took all of that off. He said, all right, deal. I'll take I'll take the sports and I'll take it all from conception, planning, and execution. And so that she didn't have to remind him and she didn't have to worry about it getting done. And that freed up six hours a week. That one task wow. alone. So there, the different cards come with, one of them is categories is daily grind. And that's like, you know, everybody's got to brush their teeth every day, got to have lunches, got to have meals, all that stuff. Um, one category is wild, which is just like it says, something random comes up. So yeah. like a, a move or a new job, a baby, yeah. like those big events. Right. Or maybe car repair from an accident, okay. something like that. Okay. Um, home, there's a home category of just regular home maintenance stuff. Out, maybe we have to um, do social engagements out or we have to go... Um, like school breaks would be, errands, yeah, summer breaks. Like, yeah. what are we going to do all summer mm-hmm. months if you're both working? Right. Who's going to find the camps or yeah. the VBSs or all that stuff? Weekend plans, travel. Yeah. Okay. All right. And caregiving. And sometimes that involves outside your family as well if you're caring for aging parents, things like that. So your goal isn't necessarily 50-50. It's not for you to have 50 cards and me to have 50 cards. What was the magic number? Oh, yeah. She said blackjack is the magic number. 21. Yes. When men took 21 cards, women felt like it was equitable. Yeah. 79 to 21. So there you go. It doesn't... I know. And it's called fair play. But fair doesn't always mean equal. That's exactly right. And it works out... Say it again. (laughs) That's a third bumper sticker. (laughs) Fair doesn't always mean equal. So if you feel like... It's manageable and everyone can live with that. And it meets all the family's values with the 2179, mm-hmm. then that's fine. That's all you need. Wow. That's brilliant. So the other awesome, cool thing I thought um, that she added into this whole um, concept was the unicorn space. And each spouse must take this card. And it's important because we hear it all the time. Women feel like they get lost in the role of mom. They're losing their identity. They don't remember what made them interesting. And we said earlier that 30% of divorces um, tend to 
make or break over this whole division of labor issue. But there's another big chunk that comes with um, women losing their identity and men eventually just finding like she's not who she used to be. Like there used to be this spark and I'm she's, not interested. Yeah, I've kind of lost interest because she wasn't she used to be this great skydiver or she used to play piano or dance, but she doesn't do that anymore. She doesn't have time to. So yeah. give each other space to develop and to have new skills and to to find new interests and to be interesting. Yeah. In a role other than parent. I love this idea. It, she said, um, if you're having trouble thinking about what this would look like, uh, think of it in terms of this. I want to get back to blank. Mm-hmm. Or I've always wanted to blank. I know what mine would be. Learn to throw pottery. Oh. I've always wanted to learn to do that. And so... I'm going to do it. I'm going to do visions it. of Ghost, the movie Ghost, yeah. with you and David. Now David's I'm going like, to have to go like, oh. bring the pottery wheel on. Jeez, <laughs> now i got to go lice all my brain. So, um, <laughs> and just a little note on the unicorn card. If you neglect this for 10 years, she calls this the 10-year passion gap. Um, women typically are fearful to step into their unicorn space hmm. when, they've, when they've been that far from it. But that's yeah. okay. You can still be scared and do it. Yeah. Lean into the fear. Break but, through. But just know that, that, that it's there. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Thanks for bringing this topic up, Bonnie. Oh, I just think it's so necessary and so common. Everybody probably is dealing with this at home. And it's just worth it to put everything on the table. And what is it that you say? Then slide half of slide it off. Slide it off. <laughs> Live with the stuff that you want left. So right. talk about what your marriage is for. Talk about what your family is for. And determine if you're happy with how you're living right. in that sphere or your work sphere as well. And dream a little. If you could have any kind of arrangement, what would it be? What would it take to get there? What would it take to get there in terms of help in the default parenting stuff, hiring work or changing careers mm-hmm. or stepping back a little bit or stepping into it more and getting more help? Right. What would, what's your dreams? And this is going to shift. Like you're not going to just do this one and done. It's going to... I think she came back to the table every week for a while and they renegotiated like this one's not working for me or or you took the kids to school this week and you were late or this semester and you were late nine times. So her, her nine critical times. <laughs> Is that from Fer- Ferris Bueller? Yeah. <laughs> nine times. Nine times. <laughs> I think the, um, the one of the critical uh, elements was what would a reasonable person expect? So in a given task. Oh, that's good. So if you, maybe a reasonable person would expect, okay, maybe two times, two tardies in a semester. So we're going to aim for that. So. Um, that, and that takes the accusatory nature out of it. Yes. What would a reasonable person expect in terms of this job getting right. done? That's not going to stress the kids out, that meets that's everybody's right. needs, all, that's the, right. all the things. So um, I think I just heard a recent podcast with Eve Rodsky uh, last week. And she said, she doesn't even, they don't even use the cards anymore. They've gotten to where they're like four or five years in, and it's just like this natural back and forth Ooh, now. that's beautiful. So it's not, it's just a great communication tool that helps mm-hmm. you get going, and then you kind of get on autopilot. I love that. So awesome. I mm. highly recommend you trying it. I don't think it could hurt, especially mm-hmm. if you are feeling overwhelmed and like you're drowning as a mom. Yeah. So, great. so all these great resources uh, will be on our website or blog, justaskyourmom.com. And on Facebook, if you follow us, just ask your mom. You'll see our podcast releases each week. And on Instagram at just ask your mom podcast. We would love for you to rate and leave a review if you're listening. And better yet, subscribe so you'll get each new Monday episode. If you have questions or topic suggestions, you can always email us at just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on 
Just, Just ask, ask your, your mom. mom.